Life is back on, sports bettors, and BetUS has your NBA, NHL, NBA, UFC, PGA, and yes, NFL betting lines up for their 27th year and live betting on all of it. Log in to BETUS.com or call 800-792-3887. That's 800-79-BETUS. BETUS for 125% bonuses with the promo code the Zone 125 You bet, you win, you get paid. BetUS.com. The good, the bad, and the ugly of the Green Bay Packers win 35-17 over the Detroit Lions. Let's see here, Rowdy. There was a moment in the game where DeAndre Swift, Lions running back, had the ball. And as he was running, uh, Kevin King was trying to tackle him. And... (laughs) I know exactly where you're going with this one. And DeAndre Swift looked at Kevin King and said, you look like a hurdle to me. And he, um, like a galloping gazelle, just jumped over Kevin King. Kevin King looked absolutely lost, confused. I don't even think he even touched him. DeAndre (laughs) Swift jumped right over him and kept running. Uh, Is that Kevin King in a nutshell, if he's not getting totally torched for like a Hail Mary touchdown? Well, I mean, just first off, Kevin King... It wasn't known as a big time tackler, a big time physical corner. Like he was known as a tall, lanky corner that was more of a coverage guy. Look like at a stick that was going to be broken. Last year, a walking stick. Kevin King, in his first real season where he was able to stay healthy in his career, he was a decent cover corner. Like we said, he graded out to being a low level number two in the NFL, <laughs> just barely startable. Just barely. Now. We never, I don't think anyone's ever bragged about his tackling. I think we've actually made fun of him even when he was covering guys pretty well think, about how bad his attempts at tackling were. I think there was a time, remember when J.K. Scott totally, totally like uh, got punked trying to tackle someone, but then the week later, J.K. Scott trucked a guy? I would rather have J.K. Scott tackling than Kevin King tackling. And that's saying a lot. But yes, Rowdy? But yeah, Kevin <laughs> Kevin King, like that was that was horrible. Okay, so I'm looking at this video. I see. Uh, I just got tagged in from our guy Kyle at Wisco Flow. Good morning, Kyle. Thanks for the tag. Uh, it's literally DeAndre Swift just jumping right just over, hurtling Kevin King like nothing, and reading some of the comments. Like hilarious. the fact that you know normally at least someone can get like a hand on the other guy or at least somewhat kind of stop him when yeah. they jump. He didn't even touch him. Kevin King just fell to his knees and just like laid there. Uh, some of the comments, Kevin King getting embarrassed again. This guy says, Seth says, I-, I will trade Kevin King for any water boy out there on any football team. It doesn't have to be even an NFL team. <laughs> this is a, this is a tough one, Rowdy. Kevin King is the Brandon Knight of the NFL. <laughs> and Bucks fans know about Brandon Knight. Uh, every time I see Kevin King, he's getting clowned by someone. How is he even still starting? And then this guy says, DeAndre Swift did it against Kevin King. It doesn't count. It's too easy. What well, is think that's going to be starting? That's the biggest thing with Kevin King. It's like his his bad plays are just so egregiously bad, and everyone remembers them because they're so big. Like like last year, he played serviceable. Like he's not a great tackler, but the one thing you remember is Scotty Miller absolutely burning him. And what happened in the opening drive for the Lions last night, Rowdy? Quintez Cephas yeah, absolutely they, they, burning. They Kevin picked King. on Kevin King. Now, now, did Cephas push off on Kevin King for the touchdown? Yes. But did Kevin King still get absolutely torched by a guy who is much slower than him? Yes. Yes. 
And it was multiple plays. Multiple plays. Quintus Cephas almost had an all-timer, like an Odell Beckham catch. When Goff threw him that, it, it was I think it could have been a touchdown. Uh, Quintus Cephas one-armed it as he's falling backwards and was bringing it down. It almost scooped it, but then King's helmet just happened to be in the right place, right time. Well, I'm with you. I think it's time for Eric Stokes to be that number two. You drafted him in the first round. Obviously, week one against the Saints, you got to see what it was. It was a bad game all around for everybody. Then you come back and play one of the lesser teams in the NFL. Eric Stokes looks all right. I think it's time to throw him in the fire against San Francisco because you got to roll the dice here. This is a good San Francisco team. You're going on the road. Once again, you have the short week. Mm-hmm. It's time to get her going. Uh, Nelly, you mentioned uh, Scotty Miller, right? Yep. The Flow Show Pod, our guy, loyal listener, love the guy. He's down in Florida, big Buccaneers fan listening. He says, oh, my God, I didn't know this was Scotty Miller's nickname. He says, oh, my God, Rowdy just mentioned my boy, Scotty Jetpacks. Have you ever heard his name, that name? No. <laughs> Scotty Jetpacks. But I heard a lot of guys have that nickname, Jetpacks, once they uh, are being covered by Kevin King. Yeah. Well, Quintus Cephas looked like he had a jetpack on last night as Kevin King was, quote, unquote, covering him. I saw someone tweet out. Just criminal. That uh, like when Kevin King was coming out in the draft, he ran, I believe it was like an upper 4-3 or a lower Mm 4-4. So like supposed to be pretty fast. He's 6-3 and lanky as hell. Mm -hmm. So he's supposed to be a guy that can cover, obviously. He does not look like a guy that's running around an upper 4-3, lower 4-4. No. (laughs) Not now. (laughs) Not now. Uh, well, good morning, Papa Pick. What's up, brother? Papa Pick on Twitch says, good morning, dudes. Says, it wasn't a big push-off for Cephas. It was terrible positioning for Kevin King. And then he says this, I can't believe we got rid of Mike Pettin for Joe Barry. Reader. I Reader know. joins in here and Reader. says, I agree. King out, Stokes in. He's so bad, he'll continue to get picked on if they don't make a switch. Kevin King's been getting picked on for the last two and a half years, and he still is a starter on the Green Bay Packers when he's not hurt. Think about that. Think about that. Ay. All right, Rowdy. There is a good point here from Papa Pick. We're talking the good, the bad, and the ugly today of the Green Bay Packers. So We're the, talking, u- the ugly is still the secondary Kevin King. The ugly, as Rowdy said earlier, it could be interchangeable to the bad. I think the ugliest Kevin King in the secondary, the bad, we have to talk about Joe Barry and the defense as a whole. Yeah. Because you can be bad, but still look good. Oh, yes. Thank you, Todd. I love your drum and the fact that you bang on it after a Packers victory. I also prefer, would prefer not to work and bang on my drum. Hey, I'm just kidding. I love my job. There it is, uh, Devontae Adams catching that 50-yarder from Aaron Rodgers on the TV right now, Rowdy, the highlight. And then there's Aaron Rodgers going back in the pocket, finding big Bob Tunyon down the middle, the tight end for the tutty. And then Aaron Jones take care of the rest of business here as Jones, three receiving, one rushing. What a game from Aaron Jones. So Rowdy and I today, we're talking a little, uh, you know, obviously about the game, right? And what I had brought up was this. The good, the bad, and the ugly of the game. Of the Packers taking down the Detroit Lions, 35-17. to 17. Rowdy, we've uh, come to the conclusion that the ugly goes by the name of Kevin King. The bad 
Well, Kevin King in the secondary. The bad is Joe Barry and the defense as a whole. The good, Aaron Jones, and to a degree, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, we'll say the Aarons. The Aarons. The ugly, we find with this, Kevin King and the secondary. That's the ugly. Yeah, just because you can't unsee just how they picked on Kevin King. And, and not only that, but his coverage wasn't great, and his tackling, we know, is even worse. So the bad was the Joe Barry defense as a whole. It just in general. I mean, look at that defense. The defensive line was getting pushed off the ball. Ryan Lancaster is essentially useless. They weren't getting any pass rush whatsoever. And then in the secondary, for the most part, outside of uh, Jair Alexander, and then I guess at times uh, Eric Stokes, there was a lot of passes being completed downfield. And then the good. The Aarons. We covered Aaron Jones of how awesome he was. So dynamic, getting it done all over, honoring his late father, his first game back at Lambeau since his father has passed. What a performance for his dad. Now, unfortunately, he did lose the necklace that he was wearing with his father's ashes in it. So if I know the grounds crew was out looking for it, but if a fan had uh, accidentally snatched it or took it while he was doing a Lambeau leap, I would suggest giving it back. But, Rowdy, how about Aaron Rodgers? Aaron Charles Rodgers. The dude was definitely turning back the hands of time as opposed to week one against the Saints, looking like that MVP self that he was. But, Rowdy, not his best game, but he looked better and a lot better than that Saints game. Let's take a step back here because I've been getting some comments about the game last night. I'll start with our guy, J8 Krebs. He says, I'm still not convinced Rodgers is really back, but it was a step in the right direction. And he said they essentially just had one good quarter. Then I'll go to Facebook, and I'll see our guy, Mark. He says, you guys really need to slow down and remember this. We played the Lions last night, and the Lions actually led at halftime. This was nothing more than a glorified scrimmage with uh, two not-so-good defenses. Hold the applause until after Sunday night against the San Francisco 49ers. Well, we both came in here before the show started at about 5.50, and I think we both said, yeah, it's a win, but it wasn't really as satisfying as we thought it would be when they win and they covered. Yeah. You know, there's they always say there's no such thing as bad sex, but there's great sex, there's good sex, there's sex, and then there's like, man, I don't know about that one. I still got At least I still got laid. Rowdy, I'd say last night was... I say last night was was in between sex and good sex. What, what would you? <laughs> how about that analogy? What would you consider it last night? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna. I'll agree with you because it, it was like okay, you won. You needed to win. You look good at times, but there were other times where you're like, or like, yeah, you you could have instead of doing missionary that long, you could have done reverse cowgirl instead of just you know on top. What what are we talking about again? All right, so last night it was like it was like in between. It was in between fine and good. And like Aaron Rodgers, sorry, I'm just thinking about, thinking about Barry Richter's parents listening and saying, yeah, they're a little edgy. Aaron <laughs> Rodgers wasn't perfect last night, but he was pretty good. Yeah. Like, yeah, he missed some, he missed some deep throws that could have been touchdowns to MVS. He missed that little, uh, what was it? More of like a drag or slant that MVS went on when they crossed. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he had some misses. He wasn't perfect, but then he did throw some dimes that everyone was raving about. It wasn't his best game ever. But it was a pretty good game. 
It was. I mean, that one, the MVS in the end zone, when him and Devontae did the crossing patterns and Rodgers threw it at the feet and behind MVS. That could have been another one, and you were talking, there could have been a couple other ones. Uh, his connection was a little off, but it's a step in the right direction. Uh, the question I have, after the game, Rodgers, now I know Rodgers likes to have the chip on his shoulder. Rodgers likes the troll. Rodgers likes to kind of stick it to people, uh, you know, in the national media and their criticism. In fact, Rodgers, Rodgers, on the national media criticism following week one, here he is. I, I think that there's there's even more now than when I started playing. There's so many overreactions that happen on a week-to-week basis. So it's nice to to come out and have a good performance and get the trolls off our back for at least a week. So Rogers wants to silence the trolls. Here's my question, Rowdy. He says, you know, about the performance week one, silence the trolls. If you don't want the trolls to come after you, why then did he say this? You know, I just guess I think we maybe tried to show that we cared a little bit more tonight. Why would you say that? Now, I know, like, as some people suggested on the Twitch channel as well, that Rodgers is trolling the likes of, like, Jermichael Finley, who said Rodgers, you know, doesn't have the desire or hunger anymore. Trolling, you know, Greg Jennings. He's trolling these national pundits who doubted him. Remember when we were talking last week? about, you know, like some of the trolls and Aaron Rodgers and back and forth and about how, you know, you can get away with a lot of your yin and yang philosophy BS when you're winning and you look really good. Mm -hmm. But then when you start losing, everyone thinks you're just full of crap, right? (laughs) Like that's pretty much it. That's none of those hippie BS. Yeah, exactly. Uh Or he needs to cut his man bun or whatever. Like that's kind of how it goes. It's either win when and, everyone loves you. And you'll be loved or lose and you'll be criticized. I think you said it a couple weeks ago. The mob is fickle. Exactly. Well, I mean, sometimes when Aaron Rodgers goes up to the podium and it's almost like Inception where it's like it's a troll within a troll within a troll. <laughs> yeah. I just sit there and I just shake my head and I go, just go play football. Like no one cares anymore. A troll within a troll within a troll. What's the kick to get out of the troll dreams? Is it to play good like he did last night? Yeah, it's winning. It's winning. Just it's as winning. Simple as that winning. Winning. <laughs> I like that. Right? Am I wrong? No, though? you're, you're Cause spot like on. Sometimes a lot of people are going to hear this, and especially a lot of Wisconsin people are going to hear this, and they're going to have people like Jermichael Finley's and Greg Jennings of the world say things, and everyone knows. Well, it's just uh, Jermichael Finley or Greg Jennings. Yeah. And then you're going to have you know other writers or or beat writers or journalists or media talking, whatever you want to call them, whatever they want to identify as today. The Poindexters with the mustard stain on their shirts. They're always going to say, oh, Aaron, you're the greatest. Oh, Aaron, even when you're not great, you're great. Oh, Aaron, can I sniff your jog? But sometimes it's just like, dude, just go out there, do your little presser, (laughs) go play football, (laughs) throw four touchdowns a game, and get the – get on to the next week, right? Like you kind of get tired of the, the post game, I guess you'll say speeches or philosophies or I don't know, realizations, whatever he wants to call them. Yeah. His little musings. It just, it just kind of gets tiresome. It does. So after his performance, you know, 22 to 27 and they won last night. And I'm saying this. And then this, 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 this just weird. It's weird. You know, I just guess I think we maybe tried to show that we cared a little bit more tonight. Huh. Just strange to me. 
Uh, here's what they did care about, though. Getting a more balanced offense last week. Well, I mean, was anything was anything balanced at all last week? What was it? Corey Bajorquez, the punter, looked good, and Mason Crosby made a field goal. That was our that was our positives from the week one loss, right? I think that was it. That's about it. So the only way you could go was up, and it's the Detroit Lions, who absolutely are, are stink. I mean, Quintez Cephas is your number one wide receiver. Now, Kevin King made him look like a true, legit, like, number one. But on the Packers, what would you – and you asked me this question, Rowdy, but I'm going to ask you, what would you have Quintez Cephas on the Packers? I mean, Quintez Cephas has played pretty well since coming into the league, especially being on a Lions team that doesn't have a ton of weapons. Having to be one of the featured guys, he's actually played pretty well. I would say he's probably like the fifth receiver with the Packers, but he looked like the Lions number one last night. Yeah, Kevin King made him look like an all-pro. Kevin King, yikes. But offensively, we're talking the good right now, a more balanced attack, and Rodgers talks about that. Yeah, I think that was important. The situation of football, we were so bad in the red zone and third down. First week, I don't think we converted one with the first unit, uh, well, at least when I was out there. So... Uh, it was nice to be uh, like we we're four for four in the red zone and had it been better than the first week on third down. So. Did the offense not look like the Packers offense of last year? It looks closer, obviously, than what it did week one where they literally didn't score a touchdown. Yeah, that second half, uh, especially when Rodgers well, found that rainbow to Devontae and then Tunyon in the end zone and then you know, Jones got his hat trick. That second half, the third quarter, started looking really well, nice. When, when you think back to last season, remember all you can think of is just the Packers offense being a machine, right? A well-oiled machine. They were scoring points. Boom, 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 yep. boom. Well, you look up and at the end of the day, they still scored 35 points against Detroit. Like I don't quote me. I don't have the stats up in front of me, but in my mind, they averaged about 35 last year. Yeah. I mean, they were around, they I mean, were, they were middle thirties. I remember. Yeah. That, like they last night was roughly what they averaged last year. It's, about the same type of offense they had last year. It just didn't feel like it was running on and hitting on all cylinders yet. Maybe because it was a slow start in the first half because they had to run the football a lot yeah. and the offensive line wasn't necessarily opening up the biggest holes. It was kind of a feeling out process for that Packers offense until about the second quarter. And then obviously they really started scoring and unleashing the offense, throwing the ball downfield in that third quarter. 32 points per game last year, says our guy True Advisor yeah. on Twitch. Thank See, you. Exactly. Honorary That's member of the research department. Pretty pretty close to what they did overall, but it didn't feel great. Yeah. Maybe it's because you're playing a crappy Lion team. Maybe you wanted it to just look 100% perfect. It just, we talked about it again. It just didn't, it was a win. You take the win. I'll never. There's <laughs> more, there's more pretty than bad. Though, yeah. I'll there? never, I'll never say I don't want this win. Like um, some football team fans. Yeah. G-Dub who's on right now. Or was it G-Dub or Doug? One of them. I think it was G-Dub. G-Dub saying. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll take the win for sure. Now the cover. Tis, it, tis, 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 tis. it didn't feel like a great game, but you'll take the win. You'll take it as a stepping stone. You'll say, all right, now they have to prove it. Sunday night against well, uh, San Fran. You know, a game of two halves, right? The Packers didn't look the prettiest in that opening, uh, you know, first half. The defense, yikes, for the Packers. But then in the second oh. half, the defense pitches a shutout. It still was a little tense. But the Packers' offense got going, especially the flow in the second half, especially the third quarter. I yeah. know we briefly touched on this, but obviously you, me, and RJ are all in a, a Twitter DM. Oh, so yeah. we can share tweets oh, and this? talk about games and messages. And – 
we briefly talked about this early in the show, but when they when the Lions went right down and scored and they made it look really easy, and Quintez Cephas took Kevin King behind the woodshed. Oh yeah, I was with RJ because he was the first one to message it. But I had looked at my dad, who I was watching the game with, and said, "Am I really going to be calling for Joe Barry's job <laughs> after game two? <laughs> I go if they keep this up all game." I don't know how anyone and that was the first drive. I don't know how you couldn't scream for him to be fired if if the Lions would have went up and down like that. And that was the first drive of the game. Exactly. And I'm sitting there kind of nervous going, "Oh my goodness, is this defense really this this bad?" So, I don't think the defense, I know they pitched a shutout in the second half. Lions were leading at halftime. But here's the thing, the defense the defense to me is troublesome. Lot of worry with well, that defense, especially when you play a good team. Coming up, not the Detroit Lions. Yeah, and I think right now, I don't know if I could necessarily say the Packers have played a really good team yet. Like the Saints have a really good roster, and they got struck by we, the Panthers. The, the Saints have a good head coach and and coaching staff. We know that they have overall a good deep roster. We know that they have good offense and defensive lines. But that huge question mark for the Saints was the quarterback position. Obviously, Drew Brees retiring. Yep. It's now Jameis Winston, a guy that has all the tools and, and tangibles to be really good, but also he turns the ball over and he's inconsistent. Well, he didn't even have to throw for that many yards compared to his touchdowns, and he looked really good. Then he goes and plays Carolina, who also has, in my opinion, a really good coach. They have some talented players, mm-hmm. and he looked pretty inconsistent again. And now you play the Lions, who everyone knows is a bottom five team in the NFL. And you took care of business, but it wasn't the prettiest. It wasn't the smoothest. And wins I don't, a win's a win, though. I don't think the Packers have played a good team yet. Now, looking forward to Sunday, Sunday night, night, you have San Francisco Oof. on the West Coast. Oof-da. Kyle Shanahan has shredded your defense, whether it was Mike Pettin or Joe Barry now this year. And also, let's also not forget, now, granted... Not the same defensive coordinator because Sala is now in New York as the head coach. Correct. But that Packers offense hadn't been able to figure out that uh, San Francisco defense, and they still have a lot of playmakers on defense that are healthy this year. Yeah. That's going to be the real test. Uh, more will be, I guess, revealed, like we say on here. More is always revealed after Rowdy. week three. Because I think right now we're kind of like, we were very disgusted with the play, obviously, after week one. Ugh. We're still a little uneasy about how the season's going to go moving forward, but you feel a little bit better after Detroit. I think game three could be make or break for a lot of Packer fans and how they think the rest of the season's going to go. Yeah, because we'll see what happens. I mean, the Lions will never be confused with a good team. Ever. But that's what I said to you last week or yesterday. Remember, I'm like, hey. We're thinking, can they cover? Can they can they beat the Lions? They, they They're still both. playing the freaking Lions. Yeah. One of the worst teams in the NFL. They covered. They, you know, there's more good than there was bad, but still that defense, you can't oof, unsee some of that. Hoofta. Hoofta. Oof. That defense could be dead and bloated, Rowdy. Kevin King, when does he get sit on the on pine? When is he on the bench? When is Eric Stokes taking over? Well, I think, at the, I think at this point, you know what Kevin King is. He's a terrible tackler. He's not giving you much in that department. He's a fringe starter at corner coverage-wise. And I think through two games, going into playing a good San Francisco team that has a Brandon Ayuk, that has a Debo Samuel, I 
think you got to roll the dice with Eric Stokes and see what you officially have. Kevin King, sit down. Let him loose. Joe Barry. If you had any berries, Joe Barry, you would start Stokes over King immediately. If he had any, if he had any berries, wouldn't you think you'd send a, a blitz or two? I feel like I hadn't seen a blitz yet this year. Packers had one sack last night. It was a team sack. You, Rowdy, I'm not calling you a detractor, but a guy who has been um, not even harsh, just wants to see something from Rashawn Gary. Even you took the over half a sack for Rashawn. Yeah, I went back and forth when you asked me over that half a sack. I would say, who do you think the best pass rusher was last night for the Packers? Because there really was not much pressure. Preston? I think it was barely Preston Smith. Rashawn Gary got in there, what, once? I think Garvin got in there once. Yeah. There wasn't a whole lot to go around, though. There wasn't. All right, Nelly, what was the most... Aaron Jones was the most impressive thing last night, correct? The running game, Aaron Jones? Yeah, like... I, I just, like, just Aaron Jones in general. Just in general, just because, I mean, he didn't run the ball for a ton of yards. He didn't have a great average, though he had some good runs. Mm-hmm. Now, that's obviously not all on him because there were plays where there wasn't much daylight for him to run because the line wasn't blocking very well. Yep. But they also found ways to get him the ball. I think he was the second leading receiver. No, third leading receiver. He was by, I forgot about Tunyon. Tunyon and Adams, Big obviously. But yeah, they found different ways to get him the football. They did. We have a, a message here. Now, Gavin, our guy Gavin, he says, he says, Evo, you got to get those phone lines up, brother. Yeah, I know. I got engineering's on it. They're on, they're in, you know, government's probably trying to silence our transmission per usual. Uh, but Rowdy, Gavin says, Get the phone lines up because I need to give I need to give Nelly some bleep for betting on Rashawn Gary. Yeah, that's against my own brand. I know. Uh, well, I, I didn't say I've, I coerced coerced you into it, but I said, "What's the over under on uh, Rashawn Gary sacks?" Because Zadarius Smith's not there, you'd figure Rashawn Gary would have a big game. Well, I you know what my thinking half, was, and you took the over. I took the over too. I was right there with my you. My thinking was, okay, Zadarius Smith is out. Obviously, it's his. Time to step up and play. Preston Smith was, for the majority of last season, pretty lackluster. I know he did play better at, at the end of the season. But, like, if there's ever a time for Rashawn Gary to step up, this would be the time against a Detroit, Detroit Lions, Lions team that isn't necessarily good. And we know that Jared Goff can be rattled by pressure. Mm-hmm. And he become, he can become a less... Um, effective quarterback when he gets pressure in his face. They're so not I, even getting any pressure. Well, I, I kind of figured that Joe Barry would bring more blitzes, and the fact that um, they really couldn't get any pressure. Do you really remember Joe Barry in the first two games dialing up a ton of blitzes, like at all? No, I don't. I don't either. But I, we know a lot of zone. But we know that Jameis Winston was very inconsistent, and in getting pressure in his face would obviously make him, I guess, sketchier as a quarterback. And Jared Goff, Jared Goff, we know that if you pressure him and you get him moving in the pocket, he's a much worse quarterback. But they still decided not to get any pressure on him. I don't, I honestly don't recall a ton of blitzes being called at all between both of the games. I don't, I really don't. That defense is troublesome for the Packers. I'm worried moving forward about that defense. So I thought that they would at least call some blitzes, get some pressure, and, and Gary would wind up getting at least one or something like that. I, you know what? I'm, Listen, we had the the announcers. I don't know if you were watching the Eli and Peyton broadcast at the time, but when Rashawn Gary was kind of pressuring Jared Goff, they were like, oh, my God, Gary caused the fumble. No, it was Preston Smith, and Gary jumped on it. Go the fumble. Um, Well, Preston Smith, 
never really even was there. Goff just had small hands and let go of the football because it was rainy. And then Gary almost botched the fumble anyways. I don't know, dude. That that defense is – Joe Barry is going to be a, a long line of people who should be fired from the Green Bay Packers. Dom Capers – well, actually, I take that back. Mike Pettin should not have even been fired. Do you think it was? Do you think it was dumb for them to move on from Pettin, even before we saw what Joe Barry's, you know, two weeks into him? So at the time when you know this was all going on, and it was sounding like they weren't going to pick up Mike Pettin, and you had just seen the defense that he was playing in the the play right before the half, where Kevin King gets burned by Scotty Miller, and he was playing basically uh, cover zero, where it's all man with no help over the top, and it's like, why are you playing that coverage in the situation that you were in? And at the time, it was something you couldn't unsee. And if you, you, a lot of people thought it's time to move on. I was under that same impression, but there's always a caveat, right? Always. You have to have a better option. Yeah. And they had one, Jim Leonard. And if Jim Leonard was your only option that you felt was better than Mike Pettin, and he did have a relationship with Mike Pettin, being connected with him in the NFL. Also, both running three fours, obviously. And you weren't a hundred percent in on Jim Leonard, and Jim Leonard wasn't a hundred percent in on you. Hey, Jimmy. And then you kind of fell off to a Joe Barry, and I don't even remember the other Ram coordinator that they were. There's a or, uh, Gray. Yeah, or position coach, Something whoever gray. it was. Yeah. If if those are your backup options. I just don't get if you didn't have a hundred percent yes from Jimmy Leonard, how you could move on because you were clearly not moving on to anything better so far. Uh, guys, Papa Pick, Papa Pick says yes, it was dumb that they moved on from Pettin. He was improving in the second half of the season last year. Well, I think it, it's hard to unsee some things that he did, no doubt. Now he was an overall plus from what they had before, but if you don't have a guarantee that you're not getting someone better, that, that doesn't make sense. You're for moving on. Like, if someone came up to you and said, hey, we're going to take Joe Barry, but you could keep Mike Pettin. I think probably everyone's going to say we'd rather keep Mike Pettin, especially when they look up Joe Barry and go, oh, he's part of the defense on the Lions that went 0-16. Huh. No, he he was was with the Skins. He was a trash bag when he was with the Skins, too. Huh. Man, all all of the uh, defenses he ever coached were bottom five in the league. Man, this guy kind of actually sucks. But Mike Pettin... Every single team he's ever coached was always top half in the league. Huh. I think even just a, a pretty casual fan like that could easily look that up would say, yeah, I'd probably stick with Petten if I knew Joe Barry was going to be my uh, replacement. Mike? Mike Petten? I know you're listening. Will you come back? Please? Life is back on, sports bettors, and BetUS has your NBA, NHL, NBA, UFC, PGA, and yes, NFL betting lines up for their 27th year and live betting on all of it. Log in to BETUS.com or call 800-792-3887. That's 800-79-BETUS. BETUS for 125% bonuses with the promo code THEZONE125. You bet, you win, you get paid. BETUS.com. Brewers lose five to two to the St. Louis Cardinals last night. Here's the thing, though. When it comes to the Cardinals, they have these timeless wonders that always make it difficult for the Milwaukee Brewers to beat them. Jonathan Lester gets his 200th victory 
Well, it's not who I wanted to talk about. Well, kind of, because it is pretty special to be at 200, right, Rowdy? Yeah, I mean, that's really good, especially in today's day and age where pitchers aren't getting as many decisions, aren't pitching as long into games. I mean, I think for this 2000s-plus era, I guess you would say, like the last 20 years of, of baseball for guys that had come into the league in that time, I'm not talking Clemens, I'm not talking Maddox, I'm not talking Johnson. You're looking at like guys like CeCe Sabathia are probably up there as some of your most wins in that tw- last 20 years. And that's, I think CC was around 250. Yeah. And I mean, it's impressive. Lester, I mean, for a guy who can't even throw to first base, can get 200 wins. That's, that's pretty badass. He's also a guy that when he was at Boston, obviously he was on the Boston world series teams. He was on the Chicago Cubs world series team. He also beat cancer. Yeah while playing yeah. in the big leagues. Yeah. So, I mean, John Lester's had a really good career. He really has. But now last night, I was hoping that the Brewers could do a little more damage against them. Freddie Peralta, I mean, he went six innings, gave up seven hits, three earned runs, struck out nine. Freddie Peralta really didn't pitch bad at all. I mean, he had some uh, weak contact, and then all of a sudden, Arenado gets a hold of one. Uh, stop me, if Brewer fans, if you've heard Nolan Arenado raking at Miller Park slash American Family Field. He always seems to do it, whether he's a Rocky or a Cardinal. Yep. So that was unfortunate. And then basically outside of that, it was two Yadier Molina hits Yachty. that brought in runs. Again, the stop me, wonder. Brewer fans, where, if you've ever heard of that. So, yes, the two guys that did pretty much the majority of the damage were Arenado and Yadier Molina, two Brewer killers. Who would have thought? Dude, Yadier Molina... How old is that guy now? Is he 40? I think he'll be 40 next year. Yadi is the timeless wonder. He is 39. July 13th is when he turns 40. Wow. And he is on uh, one-year deals? Is it? Is yeah, it, he just signed, he just signed an signed extension, another extension for one more year. So what What do you say the Cardinals were trying to do? Well, or Yadi's trying to do? Yeah, so he's trying to convince, obviously, Adam Wainwright to come back for one more year because his contract is done at the end of the year. And Wainwright, I think, is around 40 years old as well. Both guys... Been longtime Cardinals having great careers and still playing well to this day. Yeah. So Brewers, I mean, disappointing last night. There well, they was, only had three they hits. Hit the ball when you only have three hits and four base runners. It's it's pretty hard to score more than five runs like the Cardinals did. Yeah. I mean, all they had were it was nice seeing obviously El Garcia come back, hit a home run. Obviously, he had a sore back, hadn't played in a little bit, and the Brewers are also being you know pretty conservative with their players. The, they're resting up. They know they have a huge lead. Uh, they don't want to push anyone into action before they really need what the, to. What they say about Locane Being again? cautious. What they say about oh, Locane? You, you liked my tweet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, they said general soreness. I'm like, was he hanging out with Ryan Braun? Well, general soreness for Locane? He made that awesome catch on Saturday, Saturday where he like banged in the wall and they said kind of tweaked his back a little bit. But I love the tweet from the Brewers where it was Craig Council explaining what Locane was going through. And he's like... Yeah, so he made a nice sleeping catch against the wall, kind of hurt his back, but he's also having some groin soreness. I'm like, yeah, jumped into a wall, groin sore. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, my groin's really bothering me today. Oh, why is that? Yeah, I jumped into a wall. Boy, and you look at, you got Avisel Garcia back, if you're the Brewers. He went deep. Obviously, uh, Luis Arias, he's the other guy that hit the home run. That was almost it. By the way, the only other guy that had a hit last night, Jackie Bradley Jr. Oh, my God. Jackie, I have some stats on Jackie Bradley Jr. that I was going to get Jackie to. Jackie Bradley alarming. Jr. was one of the three guys in one of the three hits. Like, that's not a good night. Rowdy, 
Jackie Bradley Jr. This was on uh, the this was on Sunday. Jackie Bradley Jr.'s OPS is down to 500. This is on Sunday. That's as low as it's been since June 17th. In September, now this is again on the 19th. In September, he's one for 31 with 15 strikeouts and one walk. Do you remember when Jackie Bradley Jr. was batting about a buck 50 and he got extremely hot for like a month and a half and he raised his batting average all the way up to like 187? Mm. <laughs> I think all he's done since then was have it plummet back and he's currently at 163. Oh my God. So, yes, uh, that's not ideal when you have only three hits, four base runners, and one of those hits is Jackie Bradley Jr. Jackie Bradley Jr., I hate to bring this up as well. Jackie Bradley Jr. is on pace for the fourth lowest OPS plus of any player with over 430 plate appearances in the history of baseball. Yeah, it's pretty bad. And he's got a player's option. Next year for $9.5 million. If I'm Jackie Bradley Jr. and I look around Major League Baseball and I'm on pace to be the fourth worst player with 40, 430 plate appearances in the history of baseball, no one's going to want me. I'm picking up that player option. Oh, God, yeah. And going back with the Milwaukee Brewers. I mean, so that option's $9.5 million. He's getting he's making six and a half million dollars this year. He was coming off a season in which he hit the ball really well. He was a career two twenty three ish hitter. He's probably if he's on the open market and he's at the age that he currently would well, I guess he would be at next year and with how he was hitting, I would say him picking up that nine and a half million dollar option is probably going to be him making more than three times what he would have on the open market. What's more criminal, the <laughs> fact that he's got that player option he's going to pick up or that Kevin King is still starting for the Green Bay Packers? Like, who's stealing more money, Kevin King or Jackie Ridley well, Jr.? Well, just the fact that his contract is bigger. <laughs> and and we've seen a whole season, not just two games. Uh-huh. I'm going to say it's Jackie Bradley Jr. My but, God. I mean, looking at some positives, they got Willie Adamas back. Yep, Willie's back. Like I said, Avisel Garcia is back. Luis Arias continues to swing a really good bat. How about Luis Arias? Luis I know Urias. I know Arias. We see him when he plays shortstop. He's got a phenomenal glove and can flash the leather out in the field. It's just making that throw for some reason, weirdly enough, at the shortstop position this year. <laughs> yeah, put him at third base. He's money. But you take out those errors and the majority of them being throws from shortstop. The guy's batting 249 has 21 home runs and 70 RBIs this mm. year. Mm. That's all they could have asked for mm. from the shortstop position. I remember year after year saying if Orlando Arcia could just hit 250, hit like 15, maybe 20 bombs, and have like 50-ish RBIs and play solid defense, that's all the Brewers ever needed at shortstop. He's basically done that, but actually better outside of uh, playing shortstop, which... When Willie Adamas is back, he doesn't have to do. Yeah, yeah. Craig, that's a that's a big positive. Craig Council said of Willie Adamas, "quote He's been annoying for a couple of days, but in a nice way. He's ready to play, and you can kind of sense that." Yeah, and I think that's, I think that was kind of a lot of the Brewers players. They're like, "Okay, we want to get back out. Yeah, let there. us play, Gregory." But the front office and manager are saying, "Well, we need you healthy." And I mean, you look at last night. Strickland came in, gave up a run. That's going to happen. Hunter Strickland's been really good since they picked him up. Brent Suter came in, gave up a run. None of those guys looked awful. It was just the Brewers' offense didn't get going. They didn't hit the baseball. 
And one real thing I wanted to touch on quick. How real? We Bill Michaels was on air yesterday after us, and he, he was? was asking the question. He was on air? He was. And he goes, are the Brewers hot? Hmm. Like, because he was talking about how they have to, you have to be hot to win. That was one of his four uh, categories yeah. to win a World Series. Hot. And I was kind of sitting there because he didn't necessarily think that the Brewers were hot. Well, in August, they went 19 and 9. That sounds pretty That's hot. That's pretty good. It sounds like a smoke show. And then in September, they go 1 and 1 against the Giants, win the series against the Cardinals, win the series against Philly, sweep Cleveland, obviously got swept by Detroit in a two game series, win a series against Chicago. I think overall, they're still playing pretty good baseball. They're still churning out series. Now, the King it, says they're spicy. Are they hot it, or are they spicy right now? I think right now they're just playing solid baseball. Are they like a are they like a medium hot packet from Taco Bell? Medium? Not hot? Medium? I mean they have they already have ten wins in September. That's pretty nice. I'd say the Brewers are hot, Rowdy. They're ten and seven in September. They could be hotter. But they're hot. If Christian Yelich, you know, gets her going a little bit, they'd be hotter, right? All right, there you go. Are they hot? Well, do you think the Brewers are hot right now? Ten and seven, ten and seven in September. I mean, they're they're twenty nine and sixteen since August. Yeah, that's, that's that's hot. I mean, that's a winning percentage of sixty four. That's sixty four percent. I mean, that's better than what their uh, winning average has been just in general this season. They they're winning a little over sixty percent of their games on the year. Winning since August over sixty four percent of their say, games. I would say hot. I'd say they're they're meticulously turning out series after series wins. Like they dropped game one to the Cardinals last night. All the Brewers have to do in this four game set with the Cardinals is split it, and they four, lo- yeah, four game set. Yeah. And they and they lock up the NL Central. Mm-hmm. That's all they have to do so is split do- it. So tonight you got Woody on the mound opposite of Jake Woodford. Second and game the, the Brewers should be a heavy, heavily favored team in this game. Yep. This game is so big, right, that everyone's getting aboard the Notre Dame-Wisconsin bandwagon. And more people are, I guess, climbing on the Notre Dame side of things because they're a bigger name than Wisconsin is, right? But when you look at this game, what what is this game to you, Rowdy? Is it Graham Mertz versus Jack Cohn, or is it Wisconsin versus Notre Dame? Well, that's a pretty personal question, Evo. That's why. That's why I asked you, and, and only you, Rowdy, because the phone lines are down. And what it, what it means to me, this is the game that absolutely hinges. I guess. I yeah, this is very personal it, for Rowdy. Actually, yes, it's the game that absolutely hinges on whether I donated five hundred dollars to the state of Iowa or I'm going to potentially win money. That's what it means to me. And that's why I need to see a good performance from Graham Mertz and this Wisconsin Badgers football team. Because if you look at their schedule, obviously the Badgers, they absolutely outplayed Penn State. If they play that game a hundred times, they win 90 of them. Mm-hmm. Wisconsin figured out ways to turn the ball over in the red zone so they couldn't win that game. That was one where I, I looked at it and I go, that could end up being one of their tougher games this season. They get them week one. They had time for Paul Chris to prepare. He's one of the best at doing that. They were 100% healthy. Well, they came up short. That was one that stung. And yeah. it stung right away because 
they just didn't look very crisp, and it was a game where if they looked good, they would have won handedly. No doubt. And I still I tweeted this out. I know a lot of people agree with it. Other people tweeted it out. If they had Jack Cohn for that game, they win probably by two touchdowns. We now see that Penn State is featured in the top five. Penn State is top five now, yep. That's a game they should have won. They should have won that one. So you look at it and you're frustrated because if they have to win at least 10 games for my personal bet, they only have one more loss that they can afford in the next 11 games. Well, they play Eastern Michigan. It's a little tune up. That's a, that's easy. Yeah. They basically just showed that they're much more physical and much more dominant than Eastern Michigan, which I don't think anyone was really questioning. And then you have Notre Dame, Notre Dame, a team that's been extremely hyped since, well, Never. for forever, but ex- since the nineties where you could easily say that they've been overrated almost every single year, they've had uh higher, They've been ranked higher than they should be for basically 30 years. But then you They're look at overranked. then you look at the actual team that Notre Dame is. Yeah, they have some good skill players out at receiver. They have a good tight end. They have some good skill players. Jack Cohn is their quarterback. But then you look at the offensive line, you say the offensive line is not very good. It's not it's not nearly as good as some of those Notre Dame lines because Notre Dame like Wisconsin normally turns out pretty good offensive lines every single year. You see a ton of Notre Dame uh, offensive linemen in the NFL. This is just simply not one of them. This is, this is one of their worst lines that you can remember in recent memory. And you look at their defense and yeah, they got a playmaker and Hamilton at safeties. One of the best safeties in the, in the country. You look and you say, Oh yeah, they also had pretty good linebacker. Well, he's out for the season with a knee injury. And they they have some players on the defensive line, but no one that's super intimidating. We're like, oh my goodness, he's going to be a problem. That's Hamilton at safety. Yeah. Well, we what do we know about Wisconsin? They're going to want to come in and run the football. They're going to want to smash it down their throats. E- exactly, and then help set up Graham Mertz to throw the ball once they they can run it. If they can run the football in Notre Dame, Hamilton's obviously not as big of a factor being Correct. a safety. Yep. And then it it should open, it opens more things up. And I just, so I was actually talking to uh, our professional sports handicapper that comes on every Friday, Dave Essler, last night. And I was talking to him about some college games, some NFL games, and I brought up Wisconsin because I go, Dave, I mean, I'm looking at this and I just don't see how Wisconsin could be favored at any point during the season by more than three points. It just makes no sense how this is five and a half. And I go, I'm trying to come up with ways on on how I can see Wisconsin being a five and a half, six point type favorite. Yeah. And I go, it just seems weird to me where I almost want to bet it because it's weird because it doesn't make sense. And they're trying to tell you something. And he goes, yeah, I can only see Badgers or pass here. And both of us agreed that that front seven for the for the Wisconsin Badgers should give Notre Dame fits. And if they really do get to to Cone, this could be like another. Penn State game where I don't see Notre Dame scoring more than three touchdowns because, but also we have to think about that's just how good the Wisconsin's front seven is. Yeah, they're uh, the dynamic. I still wouldn't be surprised if Notre Dame has three, four, five big plays where they get some big time chunks, but I just don't see them consistently being able to move the football against Wisconsin, especially if they get pressure. Wisconsin's defense is so good. Well, Rowdy, I I got comments here for back to how we started. This game personally for you then, is it Wisconsin? It's pivotal. Is it Wisconsin versus Notre Dame or is it Graham Mertz versus Jack Cohn? 
Sounds like it's Wisconsin. For versus me, Notre it's Dame. Wisconsin versus Notre Dame, and the little sideshow is is Graham Mertz and Jack Cohn. Uh, Graham Mertz was asked about this game specifically. Obviously, it's the next one on the docket. It's one of the biggest ones uh, of Saturday. Mertz does say and share the same sentiment as Nelly over here. It's not him versus Jack Cohen. Take a look. I'm not lining up across the ball from every play. It's, it's like Coach said, it's Wisconsin versus Notre Dame. I'm prepping for their defense. I'm not prepping to play them in a one-on-one basketball game. But uh, obviously, if you know what it is, it's, it's out there. But um, for me, it's just Wisconsin versus Notre Dame. Just another game. And that's how it should be. But a part of me does think this game is Graham Mertz versus Jack Cohn in the eyes of some Badger fans. Yes, it is Wisconsin versus Notre Dame uh, You know, at the end of the day, but Wisconsin fans are going to be watching this game, and we couldn't help ourselves week one, right, when Wisconsin went out and just laid a turd against Penn State, and then Jack Cohn went out there against Florida State and absolutely balled out. How could you not take a step back and be like, man, that's Jack Cohn, and I just saw Graham Mertz have a dud? Another dud. Well, this a tiny bit of this game is Jack Cohn versus Graham Mertz. Oh, one hundred percent. Because you look at it, and you're like, this and guy not for got Notre Dame Pitt. fans, not for Notre Dame. No, fans. Not, no, 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 not strictly for just Wisconsin. Just Wisconsin fans. Wisconsin. A lot of fans are gonna be looking because I remember a lot of people screaming from the high heavens that Graham Mertz should be starting right away over Jack Cohn, no matter what. Well, we had one good game and then a half of a good game: Illinois and Michigan. Both really bad teams. Well, here's my take on the two quarterbacks. You're going to see, Rowdy, a lot of Wisconsin fans maybe have some buyer's remorse coming up, depending on what happens at Soldier Field. If if I'm well, if I'm in the same exact situation where Wisconsin's win total was nine and a half, they have this exact same schedule, and Jack Cohn was the quarterback. This would be the easiest bet ever. Hey, you already said that Jack Cohn beats Penn State. Yeah, Jack Cohn, I think on this team probably wins like 11 games. He's just consistent. You know what you get. He can he can push the ball downfield at times. He just wins. It's not pretty, but he wins. But he's efficient. Yeah. He'll take his checkdowns. He'll be smart with the football. He doesn't turn it over. That's exactly what a Wisconsin team needs to be methodical and to win 10-plus games. Yeah. So for that bet, Jack Cohen would have been perfect. Yeah. Now, when they went with Graham Mertz, you rolled the dice. If Graham Mertz comes out and looks like he did – against, you know, the Iowas of last year, the Indianas and the Northwesterns. We're in for a long season. That team, I wouldn't be surprised if they win eight or nine games just because of how inconsistent he is. But you rolled the dice on Graham Mertz because you saw what he did against Illinois. You saw the potential and the arm talent that he's had. And if you hit with that potential, you could potentially be seeing the Wisconsin Badgers beating in Ohio State and potentially and locking or, into a college football playoff spot. So it was kind of like... You don't know what you're going to get. You could get something really, really good, or you could get something where 10 wins is going to be a question so, mark. Rowdy, for me, the first when I first turned 18, I immediately went out and bought a lottery ticket, a scratch-off, and I won, I won $50. My, the first ever lottery ticket I ever bought legally, I won $50. And I said to myself, oh, my God, I, I got it. I got what it takes. I got luck and the skill to do it on my side. I, I'm a winner. And then, Rowdy, every time I've bought a lottery ticket since, you know what's happened to me? I've lost. You know, I've actually bought only one lottery ticket in my life. Did you win? Um, I'm still working here. Well, <laughs> I buy a lottery ticket, the first one ever, as a $50 winner. And then I go on the coldest of cold spells for almost the rest of my life. And maybe once in a while I'll get one where I win like a dollar or $5. But I, overall, I'm in the red. Graham Mertz, 
could be that lottery ticket that I first bought when I was 18 years old and won on it and thought to myself, I got a good thing going here. I'm going to be a habitual winner from here on out. And then what did I have happen the rest of my life or the rest maybe, and I don't mean to bring this up and, and say it this way, but it could be the case. What could be the rest of Grammarts? You got that winning lottery ticket, and the rest of the time, you usually come up snake eyes. Well, so it was the – remember when the – Because right now, how many times have we run with Grammarts for a lottery? You got the Illinois game? There's your winner. Yeah, that's pretty much about it. Hey, remember when the lottery got to, like, the all-time high, and it was, like, some kid in, in California that won? Mm-hmm. I remember thinking to myself, because I think he was, like, twenty or 19 or 20, and he won. I was going – God, of course, some freaking kid won, and I'm sitting there at age like 22, be, be wanting to be that exact set, the exact same little dumb kid that won the lottery. It was the only time I've ever bought a lottery ticket. Obviously, it didn't win, but uh, I mean, just going back to the schedule with Cone, they beat Penn State. Obviously, they roll up Eastern Michigan without having Cone at Notre Dame. That Notre Dame team, in my opinion, is a lot worse. That's another win. Then you bring in Michigan, who they're destroying all those low-level teams, but there ain't a ton of resistance that they've had yet. And we've seen Harbaugh and Michigan be bullies against lesser teams. We'll see where Michigan really stacks up. Remember when everyone was hyping Michigan? Oh, what was that, in 2019 when both teams were, were undefeated and then they came to Camp Randall and absolutely got smoked? Yep. Yeah, that was good. That was fun. Uh I think uh, with a Jack Cone type quarterback, that would be another good game where I think the Badgers edge them out just because they get better quarterback play. And then obviously Illinois, Army, Purdue, I think they take care of business. I was going to be another good one. If Petrus can play well, yeah. they're good. We know they can run the football, play defense. But then you have Rutgers, who's eh, actually been playing pretty good. shiano has got them playing pretty well. Northwestern, Nebraska, Minnesota, way less scarier without Ibrahim. You look at this, this schedule and you go, wow. With Cone, I just don't see how they lose three games. With Mertz, if things go south, I can see it. Oh, Rowdy. The phone lines are working again. Everyone, the phone lines are working. But I was doing my little uh, lottery ticket analogy over there, and I saw Ben Kenny just shaking his head, looked like in disgust. Not at you. First of all, good morning. Hey, hey, guys. hey uh, Yeah, good morning. Pleasant tre- pleasantries first. Good morning, young Ben Feels Kenny. Feels good to be Notre Dame week. Yep. I, I got to go back to something that I heard like three minutes ago. There was never, they never went with Graham Mertz over Jack Cohn. There was never, they never tried to hit the lottery because there was never a decision to be made. No, that, As soon as Jack Cohn broke his foot, his career at Wisconsin was over. There was nothing that could have been done. There was no way they would have went well, why back did to he Cone dress? Why did after he dress? having Mertz play for why a year. Why did he dress then in the Iowa game? As a backup, just in case Mertz got hurt. And then when, that, that was the he game where foot, he told Chris that he was leaving. What? Isn't that the game where he told Christie was leaving? I don't know. That's I mean, that's what I think. But as, as soon as he broke his foot, his career at Wisconsin was over. It didn't make sense to bring back a graduate transfer. No, that was the lottery ticket. Your, no, your no, highly no. touted freshman play a year. That was the lottery ticket was was going with Graham Mertz because you, you knew when you took that ticket that you could never put the genie back in the bottom. No, but they never went with Graham Mertz. They were forced into it. No, I'm not disagreeing with you, but I'm saying they never went back with Jack Coleman. I always say you can't lose your starting job to injury. Well, that's not the case anymore. Well, they never... The, the, like, they never had a chance to go back to Jack Cohn. Well, he dressed for the Iowa game. I don't think he was fully healthy. He's fully dressed. And he traveled. But it was still Chase Wolf that was getting backup reps, even in the Wake Forest game. Bet I'm going to let you in on something about life here. You always have a choice. There wasn't a choice. <laughs> this is the Like, yes, Jack Cohn with this team is undefeated. And, and I would argue they have a better chance at winning the Big Ten. 
That's undeniable. But still, like watching this game, obviously you you kind of wish Cohn was still with the team. You want Mertz to do well, and he's struggling. But uh, the narrative isn't, oh, what if Jack Cohn outplays Graham Mertz and shows Paul Christie was wrong. No, I think I think there's the narrative there. No, but there was never a choice. He he, he never there, made a decision ben, between Wisconsin fans. Wisconsin fans will will scream that from the mountain. If you were Jack, Jack Cohn, if you were Jack wrong. If you were Jack Cohn, right and this so. is exactly what happened to you. You you were the starting quarterback that led him to a Rose Bowl. Should have won it. And uh, <laughs> you know you were you were kind of should have let him play more. I would the guess half of Ohio State. Uh, they gave a little bit more preference to Hornibrook when. I personally thought Jack Cohn should be playing in 2018. And then all of a sudden in 2020, you beat out this stud freshman and stud recruit yet again. Well, that was also then, never a competition. And then he was going to be the starter. Broke broke your foot. And then all of a sudden they went with him because he had one big game. And now all of a sudden you're like, well, crap, they're not going to go with me. What do I'm going to do? I, I have to graduate, transfer and go wherever. You not, you're telling me if you weren't Jack Cohn, you wouldn't have a little bit of a chip on your shoulder when playing Wisconsin and Paul Chris. I'd be, I would definitely be like, well, you guys pretty much abandoned me. Oh yeah, I agree. No, I'm, I'm, I'm abandoned. Notre Dame hurt. now. I, if I was Jack Cohn, I would go out there as, with as a, a chip player, on my shoulder and ready to just put it in him. As a player, and that happened to me, and you, st- and I still led you to a Rose Bowl. Again, should have won it. Uh, <laughs> And and originally when I was younger, you went with the older guy over me. When we all know Hornibrook is a freaking joke, but they didn't they ben, didn't go with anybody. They were forced into it because he broke his freaking no, foot. No one's no one's saying that's not that didn't happen. We all know he broke his foot, and they had to and go I'm to Graham Mertz. With how it went down, if I'm still Jack Cohn, and I never actually got beat out by Graham Mertz, he never beat and, him out then. And yet I still had what to should transfer? Paul Chris have done differently? He had to go with Graham Mertz at that time. I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm he, not disagreeing, but he. Paul Christ had a choice. He could no, have, he did. He could have yes, stuck, he did. He could no, have stuck with Jack Cohn if he wanted to, but it's very hard to put the grand for the Wake Forest game. It's very hard to Why to did put he dress and travel with the team then to Iowa? Why was Chase Wolf still getting snaps? Like he wasn't fully yeah, ready been, to come back. What aren't you a Jack Cohn guy? I am. Yeah, so I'm confused. But I'm trying what, to what quell you, this. What this narrative you, is stupid. Wouldn't no, he, it's not. Wouldn't he wouldn't he still be healthy this year? He's healthy right now, correct? He is. So then why wouldn't he have, in theory, still been able to win his job Because it's year? college football, not the NFL. It doesn't make sense to bring back a guy for one year as a graduate, whatever, than a highly touted guy who is now a, a redshirt who freshman. Who would you rather start? Ha- that would who, have ruined Merch's development. Who, well, well I mean, he has looks really like he's developed. developed. So. Who would you rather be starting right now for the Wisconsin Badgers, Jack Cohn or Graham Merch? Jack Cohn. So you're well, saying you the same page. I'm just trying to you're help saying, people understand that there was never a choice between the two. Well, and that's yeah. where I tell you there's always a choice because Paul Chris could have said, well, Jack, uh, we saw Graham play really well in one game. We're going to have an open camp. If you want to come back, you can come back. Now, I don't know how that went down, but from what it seems like he got Wally pipped, I would have a chip on my shoulder. I would same. be gunning for him. Same. If I'm Jack Cohen, I'd almost want to go to Notre Dame more. It would help my chances at going to the next level. Well, yeah, I mean, there's that too. But I, if I'm Jack Cohn, I got the chip on my shoulder, and I'm gonna. And if I ball out in their faces, and we won, I would probably, when shaking hands, talk a little trash. <laughs> now, we, Jack Cohn probably won't do that. You know, the funny part about him having a chip on his shoulder is actually on his foot. You know who doesn't have any shoulders? Both of their tackles. So he's in for a long day. I just can't wait for the game on Saturday. It's gonna be lit. Phone lines are back open, my friends. You hear that? 
Oh, oh, oh. Hang on. <laughs> Do you hear that? That's the sound of open phone lines. 608-321-1670. They're back, baby. I guess we will get Mike Clemens coming on at 9.30. We'll be right back. Right on time. Right on time. The first half, it wasn't looking too great for us, but I was happy with how we finished. Definitely needed to start faster as a team, really in every phase. So we'll enjoy the win tonight, but we know that there's a lot to improve upon. All right, joining us right now, our NFL insider, Mike Clemens. Good morning, Mike. Long night for you last night for Monday Night Football, eh? Yeah, usually is. Um, <laughs> you know, and the, the rain made things interesting as well. But um, I thought it was a great game, interesting game. I think the Detroit Lions um, could be a pretty good team. I think they've been, you know, dysfunctional in a number of ways over the years. Uh, and part of that, I think, had to do with interruptions from the family, you know, on draft day and things like that. It's possible that this version might be better. And as silly as the things that Dan Campbell said from the podium when he first got hired, that, you know, some of those quotes that went around the world, um, following them last week, I was pretty impressed, actually. I think he's a pretty straightforward guy and, um, and seems to run a good practice and, I, you know, they're going to be a team to deal with. I really, I really think that. So, Mike, and I've and I haven't said that in a long time yeah. over there. Mike, I know you're in the, uh, you know, they're covering the game, so you didn't see or hear the television broadcast like I did. But there's another Dan Campbell quote that they have over the broadcast, and it was from his mom, and he repeated what his mom said, and he, she said that he was either going to end up in prison or do something special with how crazy he is. <laughs> <laughs> right, and well, he's not in prison. Then, then maybe that means after football, he's going to run for governor of Michigan. So there, yeah, you, there go. you go. I mean, politics, and they also be in prison. So sure. All right. So <laughs> to me, uh, you know, there they are. Uh, Lions are leading at halftime, and people going crazy. Now, hey, listen, I couldn't follow what listeners were saying on Twitter because the Wi-Fi was down in the press box last night. <laughs> Did you pick up on that? I mean, I think I actually sent a signal out when I finally got a, a cell signal that worked. Um, and that's happened before sometimes, like, you know, the what's, first game of the season. What's the going on, Mike? Our phone lines are down. Your Wi-Fi's out at Lambeau. What the hell? I don't know. I don't know. Now, this has happened before, though, It's because it's the first weekend. Also, another thing is the lines were long. I kind of anticipated that. I was at the stadium all weekend. And there's this long tunnel that we walk up to go to the offices that some of us have for media. And inside that tunnel, they, they store huge overhead cranes, cherry pickers, and they also have all the security stuff in there now, the metal detectors. <laughs> and then they also have all the, these new machines with turnstiles and what looks like an iPad on an arm. And that's now how they're reading the cell phones for tickets because they went... Huh. You know, they're going no tickets now. Everything is on the cell phone. Yeah. And there was about eight or nine of them that these guys were working on all night, all weekend long that had failed during the preseason. And some of them never got, you know, put out there, which means, you know, you had even more. I mean, there was some long, there was like a three-block line that I walked past of people waiting to get into the game. And that was an hour before the kick. So, you know. Did you run into Lil Wayne by chance? I saw Lil Wayne, you know. No, was the, he there last night? He was. He came in like the uh, the garage, like the bottom garage, you know, underneath underground parking side. So I don't know if you saw well, him. Who I did run into is TJ Lang. Oh, former nice. Packers right guard 
who then became a left guard for the Lions. And like a lot of other Packers, you know, he got to be 28, 29 years old, had a bit of a, a health history, and um, they loved him, but you know, we're not going to resign yet. So he got a big payment out of the Detroit Lions for a three-year deal, and I think only played about a year and a half before some of the injuries brought him down. TJ's now the sideline reporter for Lions Radio. Cool. And he was one of the best guys that we had in the locker room as a storyteller and breaking down football. So he's going to do great at that. But he was telling me some Matt Patricia stories at the Stadium View Bar on Saturday night. That's where I ran into him. Um, and then I saw him last night in the press box, and he was all wet from being on the sidelines when the rain came. And I said, well, <laughs> the good news is you won't need a shower now. You know? <laughs> there you go, Mike. <laughs> but he's a, he was a great guy. And, uh, you know, I got a lot of good insight from him as to some of the changes he sees it's going on to the Lions organization that weren't there when he arrived there three, four years ago. Sure. Hey, Mike, when it comes to the game itself, you know, there's this turning moment for me. I played it earlier is when Rodgers, you know, hit Devontae Adams with this rainbow, what, 50, 55-yard pass, whatever it was. That, to me, felt like vintage Aaron Rodgers. The thing about it, too, Ebo, is this. Um, you know, they, the Lions defense came out much like the Saints with that kind of cover, too, the too-high shell they talk about. I mean, basically, Rodgers comes to the line, and he can see some territory deep down over the middle, but there's bunch formations of secondary on on Devontae, on Lazard, and you know, on Antonian, and, and and they just can't get any of their slants going, their quick stuff. So at last week, Devontae said, you know, sometimes we got to be like Patrick Mahomes, and we just got to say to heck with it and start taking some shots to like Tyreek Hill. He said, I, you know, maybe, and Aaron and I have talked about that. Maybe we have to do. And then I saw that play. Here's Devontae going down the right sidelines. He's got two guys on him right in front of the Packers bench. And Rodgers just chucks it anyway. He throws an absolute dart. And Devontae somehow pulls it in. Unbelievable throw. And then a couple plays later, he finishes up from about his own 20, from the uh, Lions 22, and that touchdown ball to Robert Tunyon on the right hash. It's like he's, he's in two guys. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I don't know how he made that throw, but it was incredible. And I asked him about that. that to me, after those two plays, you saw the Lions secondary. From what I could see from the seventh floor, they started backing up. And now that started opening up everything underneath. And this is the stuff I've seen year after year when they were facing that Tampa 2 with Brett Favre and a young Aaron Rodgers against the Bears. And so I asked Rodgers if those two plays made a difference. We had uh, him and Marquez on the same side. Marquez is such a weapon for us, and uh, it kills me that I missed him tonight because he does so many things to open up stuff for other guys. And he's a very selfless guy, so I'm bummed out. But on that play with him racing down the middle, you know, he attracts attention. Devontae had one-on-one in the corner when they rolled the coverage, and uh, he did a nice job of uh, getting outside of the corner, and I just tried to put him in, in a good spot. We were a little bit downwind, and when I actually initially threw it, I felt like I missed him uh, overthrew him, but uh, he did a great job running underneath it and making it look easy. Well, yeah, I mean, it was that was a pretty throw, Mike. But afterwards, you know, Rodgers made this comment that I had a you know an eyebrow about that he said he didn't really care week one, and that they cared more in week two. Did you catch that? No. What it was this? It was, it's a national writer, and who's trying to stir it up? Of course. And and instead of just asking the question as if it's his own, he came in. He was sitting on the far corner of the 
press conference. And I'm not saying that this has to be a celebration. I mean, you know, Aaron Rodgers gets paid if you think there's things that he made mistakes in the game or overall. Or this is your chance to ask Aaron Rodgers a question. Guy took, you know, paid for a plane ticket, fly to Green Bay, waited to ask this question. But he said, Aaron Rodgers says, you know, Aaron, a lot of other people have said <laughs> that, uh, you know, you just didn't look like you were into it last week. And, you know, do, have you. Have you, uh, you know, did, were you more into it tonight? And listen to the laugh that Rogers had. <laughs> I just think people like to say a lot of bullshit, and it's nice to <laughs> come back in here after a game like that. <laughs> Play that laugh again, because that's the, that's the Aaron Rodgers. He's a bad man. Laugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't want to hear that. You don't want to hear that. No. That's when he puts his hands on the gun and look out. So so then we asked LaFleur on, okay, so what does Aaron Rodgers really like to work with during the week? He comes to work every day. He is the ultimate competitor, and he wants everything to be perfect. And he puts a lot of pressure on himself for him to make it perfect, even when it's not. And so, you know, we're fortunate to have a guy like that. It is a lot of fun to work with him on a daily basis. And certainly there's there's a lot to improve upon, uh, even from this game as well. It's like a guy is always like playing a chess match, and you're always trying to keep up. But every time you play a chess match with him, you get a little better as the days goes on, right, Mike? Yeah, and I thought LaFleur had a funny story. He's actually told this one once before. But, you know, the tight end coach for the Packers is Justin Uten, who made this comment because, you know, I asked LaFleur last night about, I mean, how incredible, how accurate was that throw to Devontae for 50 yards down the right sideline and then that touchdown on the right hash to Robert Tunyon. And here's what LaFleur said. It's one of those things where, I don't know if I've shared this, I think I have in the past. Justin Outen always talks about how he's going to take Aaron to the fair and or, uh, you know, the circus or whatever. And, and he, he has these teddy bear throws where he's going to win teddy bears for his kids. So that was a <laughs> teddy bear throw. <laughs> he, he would make the carnies mad at the circus, Mike. I guarantee yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Now, LaFleur did make, there weren't many questions, and I, as I sat through the press conference, I thought, you know, we're going to have to take this up later. Because, I'm sorry, did the defense not look horrible, particularly in the first quarter? I mean, you know, Quintez Cephas, you know, looked like an MVP mm-hmm. in that game. Um, some nice, you know, nice catches he was making down the sidelines. He had... One for, what, 46 yards in, in the touchdown? Um, and we knew that T.J. Hawkinson, their big uh, tight end, w- was going to be productive. He had eight catches for 66 yards, one that was for 20, and one for the touchdown where he's wide open. And LaFleur said, yeah, we're going to have to take a look at that because I think we've got four good guys up front, and we need to figure out a way to go earlier to get pressure, which means he's changing what Joe Barry was calling in that game. So we'll talk about that. Yeah, we have to. But back to the offense, you know, Aaron Jones, you know, he ends up, you know, getting four touchdowns, three of them in the air, three of them catches. And that's like the first time a running back has done that. So that's a guy did it for the Chicago Cardinals in 1942. So Aaron Jones was asked, why is it so important that you can be a hot target in this offense? Uh you know, it's kind of hard when you have 17. They, everybody wants to double them. Um, then you have a speed guy on the outside in 83. Then you got Lazar. So, I mean, Tanya. We have, we have weapons, so it's kind of hard to um, double anybody else other than 17. Um, a lot of times I get matched up with a linebacker, so um, I feel like I should win 
those matchups 10 times out of 10. Yeah, he was a hot hand last night, and especially, you know, nice to see him his first game back since his father had passed at Lambeau. And, Mike, I don't know if you heard the news, but it was just broke about a half an hour ago. They actually found his necklace. So, uh, oh, that's good it, to It has hear. been found. That's really good. So, so, you know, Aaron Jones, from the day one, he scored a touchdown in the preseason in his rookie season, and I went to his locker room in the back of the locker room to ask him about it. And this guy broke this thing down like he was a coach. And I thought, oh, watch out for this guy. He's pretty fast. But, man, he can really see the field. And from there, this guy has just gotten better every day. His father was in the military. So was his mom. They moved all over, he and his brother's kids. And his father, it, it looked like maybe it was a heart attack. He's only like 61 or 62. We'd met him a couple times, Bill Michaels and I. And later it came out that he actually he had died of complications of covid this happened in March. It was before they got the vaccination down to El Paso, Texas. And so uh, Aaron Jones spoke at his father's funeral and talked about how his dad, you know, he ended up apologizing his kids, like, kids, it's been a year, but we got to move again. But I promise you, I'll get you into Pop Warner football. And he'd have to spend four or $500 to get helmets and pads so he and his brother could you know, at least run out and play some football. He owed that to his dad. And so he said... There was a time I talked to him in the spring. He said, I'm going to do something for my dad. And so last night, the big first home game, he scores four touchdowns. And and he was asked, how proud would your dad be? Um, I think it would be more of him saying something to me, but uh, just go, out, go, go home and tell him I did it, Dad. Uh, went out there and played at a high level and um, gave him all. So which touchdown did you lose the necklace on? It was... Uh, the I think it was the second passing one where I ran out the flat uh, ran out the backfield on the flat uh, in the end zone opposite of the tunnel, so it was on the like the right side of the field. Can you tell us what this what was on this? Oh, so it's uh it's a little black football and uh, inside it has my dad's ashes. Wow, crazy! I'm so glad they found it then. Yeah, that's that's good for him for uh, honoring his dad like that. Glad they found the necklace too. Yeah. So I mean, you, you know. You can't touch that. Lions, they moved the football, and then the Packers, then they also had a, they had a key injury. This number 26, Afatu Melifonwu, is from Syracuse. He's a third-round pick, number 26, and he's fast. And I thought he was doing a pretty good job covering. And when he went down with a thigh injury, they had to put in a third-string guy, Bobby Price, to cover. So, you know, they came into the game with some key injuries, and then, of course, they started to have some penalties and and so Dan Campbell and um, Jared Goff, the quarterback, talked about, yeah, you know, we were moving the ball, and they were, I think they were encouraged by some of the progress they had with their own program last night. The turnovers, I mean, that was ultimate, That was the big thing. It wasn't like we couldn't run it. It was, you know, we, I mean, every time offensively we struggle is because we shot ourselves in the foot. Even the, pos- the one possession we didn't score in in the first half was by our own doing. There, there's little things that we got to clean up, but there's also things that, I, that I'm encouraged by. There's some players that I'm encouraged by. Bobby Price encouraged me. Jerm encouraged me. The offensive line encouraged me. Swifty encouraged me. Uh, you know, there's, there's a number of guys, and so I see improvement in areas, but certainly not enough. I mean, when you play a team like this, you can't have the mistakes that we had. Sure, he's right. I mean, again, we had it. We had doing everything we wanted to in the first half. I think we scored on every drive besides the one where we had the penalties and um, kind of what we expected to do, run the ball well, be able to move the ball down the field, throw it on them, and then in the second half just kept stalling ourselves out. 
Well, Mike, uh, you know, the Lions are encouraged, but I'm encouraged from the Packers and their victory they had over the Lions. Uh, hope springs eternal for the Green Bay Packers, my friend. Hey, right, and I'll tell you what the key was. Once, the, once Aaron Rodgers got that offense, it took him six quarters this season. Mm-hmm. Once he got that offense going, it covered up for the Packers' defense. Yeah. I think that's why they won last night. Mike, always a pleasure. Go get some sleep, man. I know you're a grind and early in the morning. Get get a nap in or something, would you? Nah, Ebo. Sleep is for wimps. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Sleep when we're dead, right, Mike? <laughs> yeah. Hey, Mike, we appreciate your time, brother. Talk to you later. See you. There he is. Mike Clemens. Uh, Mike Clemens, NFL on Twitter. <laughs>